Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 46 to 56. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 to 56. And would you stand for the reading of God's Word? An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things from your law, that by the aid of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight, that you would show us our need for our Savior that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that we would grow towards maturity. And Lord, we pray towards that end that you would take your word, that you would wash us and change us and make us more like Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first of all, I want to wish my lovely wife a happy birthday. And I get to do that because I have the mic, and so I can do that. Uh, But it has been a joy uh, to see her growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We've been married for 28 years, and she's my joy. And so it's my delight to wish her a happy birthday. The passage that we just read the Gospel of Luke is really a turning point. There's a a verse, verse 51, that says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And really from this point forward all the way through the middle of chapter 19, we have a journey towards Jerusalem that Luke is really, he's ordered his gospel in this way. And actually we see 
in the first verses of Acts, uh, how he ordered his gospel. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, speaking of the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And really what we have is the first few chapters, chapters one and two is the the coming of Christ. And chapters three through nine, verse 50, is the works of Christ, the miraculous, powerful deeds of Christ. And then in this long section, right in the middle, verses 51 of chapter 9, all the way through the end of chapter 18, we have the teaching of Christ, which is right in the center of what Luke is doing, bringing to us the words of Christ before the end of the gospel, uh, chapters 20 through 24, the death resurrection and ascension of Christ, really the climax of the gospel right there. But in this passage, we're learning about maturing as followers of Jesus. There's several things that expose a lack of maturity in the 12, and Jesus teaches them. He uses an object lesson of a child because we are all to be growing in maturity, maturing as disciples of Jesus, becoming more like Christ. And in this passage, we see four things. Maturing as disciples of Jesus means this. Number one, growing in humility. Number two, growing in wisdom. Number three, growing in zeal. And number four, growing in mercy. Let's look first of all at verses 46 to 48. Maturing as disciples of Jesus means growing in humility. Verse 46 says, an argument arose or a dispute developed among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. The word reasoning and in verse 46, the word argument is coming from the same Greek word. And behind these two words is the one word that means thought, reasoning, or opinion. And notice this, an opinion arose or a reasoning arose, uh, a thinking arose among the disciples, and the context shows us that this was an argumentative kind of thinking. A dispute arose among them. What were they thinking about? Well, Jesus knew their thoughts and knew the thoughts of their hearts. They were arguing about who was the greatest among them. Really, who was the MVP among the disciples? 
And really, this is kind of like middle school students or high school students arguing about who's the best on the team. Who's the greatest? Who's the most important? Who has the greatest position? Who does the coach like the best, think is the best? It's interesting, they're coming down, or the three who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, are coming down, and and they've just uh, encountered the, the rest of the disciples who could not cast out a demon. Remember, they had all been given power and authority, and and Matthew and Luke tell us that, that the reason that they couldn't cast out the demon was attributed to their lack of faith. Their lack of power was coming from their lack of faith, and their lack of faith was demonstrated in their prayerlessness. Jesus said that this cannot be cast out by anything but prayer. So coming right on the heels of that, a mountaintop experience and then a valley experience, the disciples are arguing, who's the best? Is it the three that were on the mountain who saw the glory of King Jesus? Well, it certainly couldn't be the ones who couldn't cast out the demon. Somebody was better than the other, and they were arguing about this. They were comparing each other. There was jealousy, pride, selfish ambition, and really this was related to ministry importance, ministry significance. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul deals with this, referring to gifts in the church. Verses 3 to 6, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We all have the propensity to compare ourselves to others and to compare others to us, to look down on others, to not see the significance of others in Christ. We strive for recognition We jockey for position. We long for importance. Ultimately, we're wanting the place of preeminence, which is reserved for Jesus Christ. James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He attributes the the fights and the quarrels to what's going on in the heart, the sins of the heart. We can't see each other's heart 
But what comes out of the mouth and our actions and our words is proceeding from the heart. And we learn in this passage that, that Jesus sees their hearts. He knows what's happening in their hearts. He knows what they're disputing about and why they're disputing. Because he sees their hearts. James continues in this line of thought. In verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So there's a pride, a selfish ambition taking place in the heart that is manifested in quarrels and fights among believers. And James exhorts us to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will exalt us. Disciples of Jesus must grow in humility, and Jesus is taking this opportunity, this quarrel, this fight about importance, recognition, position, to show them their need for humility, to grow in humility. So he took a child and he put the child beside him, which is a beautiful, beautiful place of honor. It's a picture. It's an object lesson for the disciples. And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He places the child in the, the place of honor. And a child in this culture does not have any importance. They can't do anything for you. They can't advance your career. They can't bring you more honor in the culture. They're not important in that culture. And yet... Jesus shows the importance of the least of them. The world sees them as unimportant, and yet Jesus is showing them that even this child is important. And he says, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Stop striving to be great in the world's eyes. Stop striving to be great in your eyes. Stop comparing yourselves to one another and rest in your identity in Christ. You belong to Christ. You are His and He is yours. And all the significance you could ever want or imagine is inherently in Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to impress anyone. Relax. Rest. The place of least importance is a great place to be. We need to grow in humility. Jesus says, for he who is least among you all is the one who is great. It's not about becoming great. That's not what he's talking about. 
You want to become great, then you need to humble yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the reality is he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And he places the child in a place of importance right beside him. And the implication is this child is great. He doesn't offer anything to the world. He can't give anybody anything that they're after. He's the least, and he's great. And what a reminder it is, even thinking about church ministry, how our tendency is to think the person who's standing up in front of a, an adult class teaching, well, that's the person who's important. And yet the reality is the place of honor in serving is right in the nursery. Is <laughs> serving the ones who are least in the congregation. Whoever receives this child, whoever welcomes and cares for this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. There's a significance to serving the least, caring for the least. The world thinks one thing about greatness, but Jesus says something completely different. So we've got to grow in humility as we mature as disciples of Jesus. Secondly, growing in wisdom. Look at verses 49 to 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Now, the implication is he does not follow with us as the 12. If you remember back in chapter 9, verse 1, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. But the disciples are recognizing that somebody is casting out demons and they're not among the 12. Jesus didn't give them permission. He didn't send them out to do that. And so they wanted to stop him. They tried to stop him. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. It's really similar to a story that took place in Numbers chapter 11, verses 26 to 30. It says, now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were not among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord, <clears throat> Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The same thing's happening here. The disciples wanted to stop the person who 
was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Jesus had not set him apart to do that like the 12. He did not give permission, and so the disciples took it upon themselves to stop him or try. And they needed to grow in wisdom. And Jesus said, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, the apostle Paul, who's in jail, talks about people who are proclaiming the gospel with different motivations. And the gospel is advancing no matter what their motivations. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 12 of Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul was not concerned about the motivations of the preachers. Some were preaching out of envy and rivalry. Some were thinking to inflict him in his imprisonment through the preaching of the gospel. But Paul was not concerned about that. What he was concerned about was the advance of the gospel, the glory of Christ. That was his greatest concern. And if the gospel was going forth, it didn't matter what the the intentions of the preachers were. He could rejoice in the gospel going forth. John Calvin said, when by any occurrence God is glorified, we ought to bear with it and rejoice. If the disciples had not been more devoted to their own glory than anxious and desirous to promote the glory of their master, they would not have been offended when they saw that glory heightened and enlarged in another direction. So the reality was they were the ones casting out demons. They were the important ones. They didn't want to share that with anybody else and it exposed the reality was their concern was not about the advance of the gospel and the glory of Jesus. It was more about preserving their own importance. Flows naturally out of their argument. Jesus teaches them that they need to grow in wisdom. And James speaks about the meekness of wisdom when he says this. James chapter 3, verse 13, but who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. <clears throat> this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
There will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, the disciples didn't have to be anxious. Really, having the wisdom that comes from above that is first pure and peaceable. They didn't have to try to stop the one who was casting out the demons. They could wait upon the Lord and see that the gospel was advancing, that the fame of Jesus was advancing, and they didn't have to guard and protect their own significance before the crowds. Maturing as disciples of Jesus means, one, growing in humility, two, growing in wisdom, number three, <clears throat> growing in zeal. Look at verses 51 to 53. Verse 51 says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, and really this is speaking about not only his death and resurrection but also his ascension. So really, the whole climax of the gospel at Calvary, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. He was zealous for the purpose of God in going to the cross. He was headed towards the cross in Jerusalem. He was unwavering in his commitment. He was zealous for the purposes of God. And disciples who are growing and looking more and more like Jesus, we grow in our zeal for the purposes of God. We grow in our zeal for living the crucified life, living in the way of the cross with resolve, steadfastness, an unwavering commitment. In the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, verses 5 to 8, we see the servant of the Lord the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame he who vindicates me is near. In fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the Lord Jesus sets his face like a flint towards Jerusalem, headed towards the cross. And in this section in Luke, from chapter 9, verse 51, all the way until the middle part of chapter 19, we see Jesus headed towards Jerusalem, unwavering, that's where he's going. He's going to die. He's going to be crucified. 
Luke chapter 13, verse 22, you can see this movement. 13, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. It's all on the way to Jerusalem. Chapter 18, verse 31, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Everything will be accomplished that has been promised in the prophets that the Christ would come and that the Christ would deliver sinful people through his death and his resurrection, the once for all sacrifice for sinners. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He's zealous for the purposes of God and his followers grow in their zeal for the purposes of God. But finally, number four, maturing disciples of Jesus are growing in mercy. Look at verses 54 to 56. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. The Samaritans met the disciples with hostility. They were in opposition to Jesus coming among them. Jesus was not welcome among them. And the disciples said, do you want us to call fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did back in 2 Kings chapter 1? Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them for their lack of mercy. Remember what was said in in Luke chapter 6? Jesus said in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. They needed to grow in mercy. They had a lot of zeal, but they had a lack of mercy. They needed to grow in their patience, in their kindness toward their opponents. Those who were rejecting the message, those who were rejecting Christ, they were zealous. But Jesus was teaching them that they needed to be patient and they needed to be merciful. John Calvin says, frequently too it happens that the impure feelings of the flesh are mingled with our zeal and that those who appear to be the keenest zealots for the glory of God are blinded by the private feelings of the flesh. And Jesus is dealing with the disciples and their private feelings of the flesh from their arguing with one another 
Jesus looks into their hearts and he knows their flesh. He knows their thoughts. He knows what's going on. He, he knows their sin. And he teaches them. He's patient with them. And so many times, even in our zeal for following Jesus, we're so impatient with everybody else around us. We show a lack of mercy to everybody else around us. Not just the opponents, but even those among us. We're impatient with others who maybe are not as zealous as us. Let me bring together some closing thoughts. The first is this. Jesus knows the reasoning of your hearts. He knows my heart. He knows our hearts, and he knows our sin. He knows our selfish ambition, our pride, our longing for greatness, our longing for significance, our desiring to be important, even our desire for preeminence. And he's patient with us. He's patient with us. We have a patient Savior who instructs us with his word and who rebukes us with his word by his Holy Spirit. And as we follow him, the Father matures us. He shapes us and conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus, who is the one who humbled himself. He's the humble one. He's the one that entrusted himself to the Father, knowing that the vindication would come later, that he could trust his Father and head straight to the cross. Jesus knows us and he loves us and he's patient with us. Will we rest in him? Will we find our significance in him alone? And will we be zealous for the purposes of God? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us by your spirit grow and mature as disciples of Jesus, that, that we would look more like Christ. that we would humble ourselves, that we would see the significance of others, that we would not strive for position, that we would not strive for importance, but that we would just rest in Jesus. So help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.